Welcome to the Sports Spectrum Podcast, where faith and sports collide. Here's your host, Jason Romano. This is episode number 107 of the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. My name is Jason Romano, and as always, we appreciate you downloading and subscribing to this podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcast, on Spotify, on Google Play, on Stitcher, wherever you listen, sportspectrum.com. We appreciate you checking us out and joining us here on our podcast. And as always, we are sponsored by Compassion International. Go to Compassion.com backslash Sports Spectrum. That's the URL now, Compassion.com backslash Sports Spectrum. Sponsor a child today for just $38. I promise you, you will not regret it. That $38 a month going to help children, providing them a hope and a future. Compassion is the most trusted child development ministry in the world Myself, my wife Dawn, my daughter Sarah, we sponsor a 13-year-old boy from Haiti. And never once have we said, man, we got to stop this. That $38 is just too much. It's not going, no, this $38, trust me, it's going to help this young boy from Haiti. And when you sponsor a child, you can make a difference, a gigantic difference in a child's life. 1.8 million children in 25 countries are being impacted by the great work at Compassion International. Go to Compassion.com backslash Sports Spectrum and sponsor a child in Jesus' name today. Today's guest on the podcast is Julianne Viani, and she is a basketball analyst because she covers men's and women's college basketball. She covers the NBA, and she covers the WNBA. And you've seen her work on ESPN, of course, as a college basketball analyst. She's the lead women's analyst for CBS Sports Network. She's a women's analyst for the Pac-12 Network. She does WNBA work with MSG in New York. And she's the lead NBA VR analyst for Next VR. And we'll tell you about Next VR and what exactly that is in a minute. I think it's kind of the future of sports broadcasting in many ways. And Julianne is Julianne and Julianne has inter, and Julianne has lived a very interesting life playing college basketball at Marist over in Poughkeepsie. She is a four-time MAC champion. She led the Lady Red Foxes to their first ever Sweet 16 in program history back in 2007. She was the MAC MVP, the Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference MVP as a senior. She scored 1,447 career points, fourth in program history, and was inducted into the MAC Basketball Hall of Fame over in Springfield, Massachusetts, after graduating in 2009. And on this episode of the podcast, we talked to Julianne about just her journey into basketball, going from college, playing in college basketball, to eventually going overseas and pursuing a pro career, and then kind of falling into this broadcasting career that has now flourished for her and doing an incredible job and being sort of a jack-of-all-trades covering college basketball with so many different people on so many different networks. It's really a cool thing to watch. And Julianne obviously has a, a strong faith in Christ and didn't always have that. She grew up in a Catholic home, old school Italian Catholic home, and really didn't have a strong kind of dedicated following of Jesus until a little bit later in life. So we'll tell you that story as well. And just excited to hear Julianne's story about broadcasting and being a woman working as an MBA analyst. There are not many women working as NBA analyst on the pro basketball on the men's side in the NBA. So really cool to have Julianne here on the podcast. Let's get right to it and hear her story. 
This is the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Let's get right to Julia and Vianney right here on Sports Spectrum. Take a listen. Julianne, welcome. Hello, Jason. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. This is an honor. I love what you're doing. Thank you. It's good to talk to you. Excited to hear about your sports journey, your faith journey, and everything in between. So let's get right to it. But let's start right with what you're doing now. I I know you're a basketball analyst. We mentioned it in the intro that you're doing work for a lot of different organizations, specifically for CBS Sports and ESPN. Tell us about the work you're doing now and kind of this season of life that you're in in broadcasting. Yeah, so I am. I'm a basketball analyst and um, I do men's uh, and women's college basketball. So I cover a wide spectrum of stuff. And then I do the NBA in virtual reality, which I can get into. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, But for the most part, um, I'm also gearing up for some WNBA stuff, which is coming up very shortly with the New York Liberty. So I do I I, kind of make it a full time kind of thing i mean it's all year long there's always basketball <laughs> True. so i don't think many people julianne realize how rare in many ways it is to see a woman working as an nba analyst and you're doing that with next vr and and, and honestly even in in men's college basketball there aren't a lot of women who are college basketball analysts there's a few you know certainly doris burke comes to mind she might be the most recognizable and she's we call her the goat in the broadcasting mm-hmm. business she's the best but Tell me about being a woman broadcasting men's basketball. Have you encountered any backlash on that? How's that How's that process been for you? Oh, it's funny. I mean, I think it's something that is, if you're going to get into it as a woman, now's the time because I'm, I'm noticing actually this open window over the last probably, probably six or seven years, uh, especially, but the last 10 years. And, you know, you said Doris Burke, Doris is the goat. She is the, one of the pioneers in, in this field. And she's the one that kind of got the ball rolling, so to speak, and, and really proved herself as a knowledgeable woman of the game. She played at Providence and then, um, she really worked hard. She kind of began where I did, actually. She started doing games in the MAC, which is my my former conference, mm-hmm. and on the women's side. And, and then she just kept hustling, getting better at it. But, uh, you know, she's kind of like that foundational piece for us as women because we're starting to see more and more women getting the opportunities. And so I'm kind of seizing the moment, you know, right now because, I mean, I know for sure ESPN is – is definitely excited about giving women a shot. You know, they've, they've given a few of us opportunities to go on the air and cover men's stuff. And I haven't received a ton. I mean, there has, there have obviously there've been, um, backlash, but I do think some of the other women before me, like Doris and some of the others have kind of made it a little bit more common or regular to hear a female voice. I mean, when you look at some of the message boards, which is what I ignore, but there are people who look at those things after games and stuff. You see some people that still struggle with hearing a female voice um, on the air as, as far as they're just used to hearing a man on a men's game, especially. So, um, but for the most part, I'm, I'm not getting backlash because I think if you prove that you know your stuff and you're on the air and you just you've done your homework, uh, you you work hard, you're you know everyone can tell people are not people are too smart now. You know you can't you can't just go out there and fly by the seat of your pants and 
not be accepted. I think that as a woman doing men's games, you actually have to work harder to kind of prove yourself as worthy. So they don't look at you like, ah, who's this female, this whatever, just like bimbo coming out here. I hate to say that, but you know, thinking she knows her stuff, but when they know your credentials that you played, that you, you know, or you coached or, or whatever it is, you have just as much knowledge. And in the game of basketball, it translates really well because the rules are really all the same for the most part, except, and the game is the same. The concepts are the same. It's just above the rim, you know? And so there are differences and the speed is different, but, uh, I mean, I think it's been cool to be a part of just, I mean, there's a handful of us doing it. It's a blessing. I mean, I know it's a blessing. I know that God opened that door for me. So I'm just trying to run with it and do the best I can. (laughs) Well, you're doing a great job. And I'm always curious, you mentioned virtual reality and you're doing NBA games for Next VR. What is Next VR? I don't think a lot of people know what that is. And then tell us how that job sort of came about for you. Yeah. So Next VR is, they're the leader in virtual reality content. So they're a company based in Los Angeles and uh, they do a wide variety of things in virtual reality, which means that they transport the viewer to the actual location. So last year was the first year that that live sports were ever broadcasted in virtual reality. So that's when you put the headsets on, Hmm. you stick, you stick your phone in the app and you you have to download the app and everything, but you, you pop your phone in the, in the headsets and you actually suddenly submerge basically courtside into the game. So you can turn your head to the left, you can turn your head to the right, and you can actually feel the sounds, hear the sounds. Uh, if LeBron James is walking in front of the camera in front of where you are on the court, you're going to, you're going to see his butt in your face. And it's like <laughs> you are courtside. I mean, I'm serious. Yeah. It's very, very cool um, and cutting edge. But yeah, last year was it was interesting because when I first uh, got the call from uh, the VP there of content, Danny Keens, it was it was just kind of like, oh, what's this about, you know? Because um, my friend who actually does a lot of the play by play, Jonathan Yardley and I had done games together for ESPN, just a few actually in our past. We'd done some women's games and. He's more of a soccer-oriented guy for the most part, but he was—he—he's obviously done basketball too. But he had called me and, and said that you know he had done a soccer game for this company called Next VR last year, you know, in like the preseason. And he's like, "Would you be interested in?" I, I gave your name to them because I worked with you before and I really enjoyed working with you. And 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 I was like, "Oh, that's great! Have him call me." He's like, "I don't really know what this is about, but you know." Um, it seems like it's something really cool, like very futuristic. I mean, it's, they've got something neat going on here. So I had no idea what I was getting into, but I thought it was maybe 3d TV is it similar to that. And, yeah. and it's, it's not, it's, it's actually like next level next VR kind of feels like, and, and so do the other VR companies that one day in the not so distant future, every household will have a pair of glasses and that, that, 2d tv will be like black and white tv i mean that's how they feel about it so it's it's pretty cool (laughs) but i felt like the door was open and i don't know if i had a clue what god was doing there because it was like this is a big deal like you're gonna be doing the nba you're gonna be getting a chance to go into coaches 
you know, coaches scrums and talking to them and talking to players and actually calling the highest level of basketball. And they liked that I was a woman, which I appreciate because they're super progressive. They want to be a little different. Not a ton of women are doing the NBA and, um, they gave me a shot and I guess they thought I did all right. Cause they called me back for a second season. <laughs> right. That's the only way you can gauge, right. Is when they call you back and say, yeah, I really don't know, more. but sure. <laughs> well, I gotta say, cause a couple of years ago I was at a conference in, I think it was in Colorado and compassion who actually sponsors this podcast had a sort of virtual reality setup. And it was the first time I ever put those glasses on and I didn't know what to expect. And I realized when I put them on, that I was literally transported to this place. And I think it might've been mm -hmm. Haiti where I was seeing the work that was being done by compassion on the ground there. And you know, That's you just amazing. turned to the left and turned to the right and you, you felt like you were there. And I'm guessing, have you experienced That's that it. with the yes. NBA and these games and putting these glasses on literally right there? You have yes. no concept that you're sitting in your seat, you know, in your couch in your basement or whatever, you feel like you're at the game. Absolutely. That's exactly what the point of it is. Now they're starting to actually, uh, it just came out where they're going to be able to add friends where you can actually view the game with friends and you can turn and see your friend and it's cool. crazy interesting. Yeah. So you don't have to be by yourself, but if, I don't know if anyone, uh, a lot of people don't know this, but Kevin Durant, our company next VR, while he was thinking about going to the warriors, um, our company had made this, little uh kind of like a reel i guess you could call it uh to put on his on his face and um mm. so from oklahoma or wherever he was he was able to walk through the, the golden state locker room and mm. uh and go through you know across the bridge over there in san francisco and experience it first in vr what it would be like you know at That's a cool. game and it was just kind of cool because you can do that just like you saw what was happening with compassion and you can kind of feel feel it yeah. for yourself which is very neat because there are people if you think about it, overseas that will never go somewhere they'll never travel right, they'll never exactly. go to an nba game uh, an nfl game we also are doing the nfl and that's been successful they do concerts uh you know, it's pretty, it's pretty intense. Yeah. I got to get, I got to get in on this now, Julianne. I mean, I got I to I watch my Celtics in it's an NBA different. game of virtual very reality. You know? yeah, that's very cool. We're talking to Julianne Viani here on the Sports Spectrum podcast. And I know that you've been just in the business a little while. I say the business as, as in broadcasting. I've worked, you know, for a long time, 20 years, 17 of them at the place where you work at and, and contribute to at ESPN. And you are, in my opinion, what we call a grinder. You are grinding in this business sports broadcasting world. Uh, we'll talk about balancing work and life in a little bit and broadcasting, but is that something you always found yourself wanting to do, broadcasting? We're going to talk about your basketball career in a little bit too, but tell me about how this sort of broadcasting world came about for you. I never thought in a million years I would do broadcasting, to be honest. I uh, I didn't study it or anything in school. A lot of people you meet will have this dream that this is what they know they want to do. And to be honest, I ended up getting my master's in public administration. I thought I was going to go maybe a nonprofit work life. I wanted to do good things for society, which I still sure. could do. Yeah. But I was more like, that's where my heart was. Like, let me uh, do this. But when I got back from, and we'll get into my basketball stuff, uh, but when I got back from playing in Europe, uh, what, how it happened was <laughs> it's so, it's so crazy. I, I say that I, 
I say that broadcasting found me more than I've found it. <laughs> so God sort of plugged me in there. It wasn't something that I ran after, which is kind of interesting. But um, my coach in college called me up because he had somehow run into a guy at Madison Square Garden Network. And I don't know if you know him, but you're, you know, the TV world is small and it was Mike Quick at the time. Mm. And he was the high school guru of like all high school sports in the tri-state area, New York City, Connecticut, uh, New Jersey, you name it. He knew everything about high school sports. And so MSG had started up a high school network at the time. It was only in its second season. Uh, this was like six years ago or whatever, you know, when I first got into it. And, you know, he called me up and was just like, Julianne, my coach was like, Julianne, Mike Quick wants to know because he had covered me back in the day because we were New York state champions every year uh, in high school. So he called, he always covered us and he's like, would Julianne be interested in doing TV? We're starting up this network. We're looking for some female analysts we need for basketball and you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and so my coach had been like, Hey, uh, well, Julian, would you be interested? So he called me and he's like, would you be interested? And I talked to Mike and Mike was like, all right, well, why don't you come to a boys game with me? And I'll just, I'll just throw you in front of the camera, see how you do. You can sit there next to me off camera and we'll, we'll just see if you got it. <laughs> that was all he said. I had no <laughs> idea what I was doing. So I drive a couple hours, you know, to like a game down in like the shore, Jersey shore somewhere. And, and then I, I just, he just kind of threw me in front of the camera, told me, told me some things to say. And then and then he sat me down and, and, you know, it was a little more comfortable sitting down off camera with him. And he's like, all right, I'm going to be the play-by-play. You're going to be color, okay? And you're going to do the analysis. Just tell me what you see. Just speak about what you see. So I just started talking. <laughs> and that I just started talking the game. And, uh, and he was just really like, I think you could do this. I really think you could do this. So he threw me into a game. I tell you, I had no experience. He threw me into like a semifinal girls like county game or something in uh in new york city it was in i think it was in at st john's actually and and it was so funny because i was such a nervous wreck because i had no i really had no coaching except for the little bit that he had given to me uh luckily that first game i was with rich ackerman who's a real pro and oh, yeah. uh you know <laughs> he was like oh god who are you putting me with <laughs> i'm sure that's what he was thinking <laughs> But he was really good with me. And anyway, from there, I just started getting more and more games. So I do I do give MSG Varsity a lot of credit for, and Mike Quick a lot of credit for actually seeing something in me when I had zero experience. And he could have gotten in trouble because, you know, he, he did hear some, like, like, lashback about it. Like, who is this girl that you're just putting up out there without any experience? And he's like, she's going to be fine, Okay. And so I remember him calling me before one of my games and, and it was early on saying, giving me a pep talk and saying, just picture yourself as that undersized point guard, that <laughs> under recruited point guard. All right. And go out there today and be loud and, and, you know, do your homework. And he was like giving me this pep talk, but that was how it started. And then from there, I kind of had to really grind, as you know, in the business it doesn't just come. You have oh, to yeah. find work, you know, and I didn't know if I wanted to stay in it. So I had a couple of full-time jobs while I was kind of doing a game here or there before it really took off. But that's how you do it. I mean, that's, I love that story because we all, especially us in, 
in the broadcasting world, we all have a story like that. Everybody has a first, you know, their first shot at something. They have to kind of, it's not the most glamorous thing. People don't just come out of college, no. <laughs> most people, and they're on, you know, the NCAA men's final four game or the women's final four. It just doesn't work like that. So everybody has their first start and, and it has to grind and you're doing just that. Great story, Julianne. We'll get back to our conversation with Julianne Viani in just a moment right here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. But want to tell you about our friends at Compassion International real fast. Compassion.com backslash Sports Spectrum. That is the URL. That's the website to go to to sponsor a child for just $38 a month and provide hope, provide food, provide education, provide knowledge of Jesus Christ and helping them grow in a foundation in faith. This is an amazing opportunity for you to make a difference in a child's life. $38. That's all it is. And I promise you, you will not regret that money going to help a child in need. You can stay connected with this child. You can write letters to this child. They'll write letters to you. It's really an amazing kind of connection. It reminds me of the old pen pal days back when I was in grade school and I used to write to a a child who was my age overseas and they would write us back and we would read the letters in school in many ways, that's what compassion is about, but you're making an even bigger difference because your money is going to help fund education, to give them food, to give them an opportunity to have a hope. But you also get to stay connected with them, hear how they're doing, write them letters, they write you letters. It's really an amazing program. Go to Compassion.com backslash Sports Spectrum, sponsor a child for just $38 a month. You will not regret it. Compassion.com backslash Sports Spectrum. Let's get back to our conversation with Julianne Vianney here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Let's go back a little bit. I like hearing people's journeys through life, not just basketball. So let's go back to maybe 12 years old, 10, 12 years old, and Julianne growing up where where you grew up, what life was like, where basketball was in the picture, all of that. Tell us about growing up as uh, as a young girl. Yeah, so I grew up in Poughkeepsie, New York, um, which is about two hours north of New York City. And I, uh, I have two sisters and great parents, my mom and dad really raised us well. I was raised Catholic. Um, you know, so my parents ended up sending us to a Catholic high school where, mm. uh, basketball really did revolve. Uh, we revolved <laughs> around sports our whole lives. It's yeah. funny because my dad had three girls and I tell him all the time he was pretty lucky because <laughs> he didn't, he didn't get girls that were pansies. I'll tell you that all three <laughs> of us really liked sports. I mean, we played soccer, we played softball, we played basketball and, and we we really got heavily involved in the AAU circuit. I mean, very young. Uh, we got, you know, because he's my my dad was our coach, so we were that family that went away every weekend on AAU tournaments, like all of us, and we'd be on like three different teams. And my dad would coach every team, and he would be like hopping from game to game. You know, we'd have two games with me, two games with my other sister, and then two at the other until I started playing up with my older sister Jenna. Uh, we were such a basketball family in that regard because we wanted to get scholarships. We were we were intense about it, you know. And and back then it was just just like it is now. I mean, it was just you you have to work hard, and and that's where all the college coaches will see you. And um, but we were raised in a good family. I mean, I I'm really so blessed because um, 
you know, my mom was the one who was pretty much the strong woman of faith who brought us all to the Lord when we were young. Um, I was probably 12 years old or so when that happened, which was amazing. Um, my faith played the biggest role in all of my success and, uh, coming to God at a very young age, I feel was such a saving grace for me. So, when I go backwards a little bit, I, when we were Catholic, my dad, he wanted us to be raised Catholic because he was a, an Italian Catholic and it was just important to him because when my parents got married, my mom had kind of gotten saved. I mean, she really got born again when she was like 21 and they had met long before that and had dated for so many years. And she's like, and I'll never forget it, you know, and he wasn't really saved. And she's like, but I, you know, I prayed that God would take away my, my love for him. And I, it just didn't happen because I had already loved him for seven years. So when we got married, he made me promise we'd raise you guys Catholic. So we did. And, um, for a number of years, we, we got our communion. We, uh, we went to church with my dad My mom would come too, just, you know, not a ton, but she would still come. She wasn't really Catholic anymore, but, um, you know, it, it got to a point where, I did not feel fulfilled. And at a pretty young age, I, I remember battling with depression and really, really thinking deeply for a young girl and wondering what life was all about. And, and I felt unfulfilled. And no matter how much I went to church, I, I kind of fell asleep. And I, I felt like God was just this pie in the sky, you know, the man upstairs. And I didn't really know him. It was more of a head knowledge of who he was. And I heard some stories that CCD, you know, uh, where I was raised and we went, you know, we went there, but at, there was a day where, uh, uh, my mom actually, she started, she discovered a church, her and my uncle and some of the others, they started going there. And it was, it was interesting. It was a non-denominational church outside of the Catholic church. And so, a number of my family members started going there. And I just remember, you know, I was about 12 years old. I was sitting on my sister's bed and they had sort of started going to this church and I hadn't really explored it yet. But I, I remember sitting on my sister's bed and my older sister had already received the Lord uh, into her heart. And I felt like she was different, you know, and I just remember sitting there and my mom was talking about God and I started asking questions like, you know, how do I know where I'm going to go when I die? I, mm. I don't really know. I'm, I'm afraid, mommy. I'm afraid of hell. Like I really am. What if I go to hell? And, you know, that opened up the door for my mom and my older sister to kind of share the gospel with me and tell me that I, I could know that, that you can know without a shadow of a doubt where you're going when you die, that this is not something that you have to worry about because Jesus died for your sins. You know, he came here to give you access to heaven and, and to give you that peace of mind to know that, you know, you're going to go to heaven when you die, because that's why he came. And they shared the gospel with me. And, and it was a new, it was like a new way. It was like my eyes were opened. And I just remember that moment crying my eyes out at like 12 years old. It, it brings tears to my eyes just thinking about it because hmm. I remember how real it was. It was like a supernatural moment. Like I was never the same. And, and I said the sinner's prayer, you know, with my mom and my sister right there um, on her bed. <laughs> and um, I felt like there was just such a, 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 such a change 
I mean, I was never depressed again, which is crazy because I used to battle with it for some reason, um, very young. And it was like, I never experienced that kind of heaviness ever again. And that was when the ball really got rolling for me because I found Christ. It was like a new life. I, you know, we started going to this church that we all fell in love with. And what's crazy about it is that my dad was not saved um, at the time. He was wondering, why are you guys all, all going to this non-denominational church? And all of you got saved. And like my, my younger sister followed suit. And my aunts and my uncles and my cousins and all of us, it was like God seriously did a work in our whole family, um, like down the extended, the whole extended side of my mother's family all got saved. And it was just like incredible. And we all started going to this church and that's where the youth group days started. And um, we met a mentor of ours who poured into our lives. And, and I honestly don't. I would not be where I am today if I had not found Christ at that age. And I feel like when you come to Christ at that age, I don't know. It was like God spared me from a lot of heartache because I know now looking back all of the things that I could have gotten into that knowing Christ, man, it it, it just helped me. <laughs> Tell me about your dad and maybe the, if you remember it, the few years that he, um, you know, wasn't walking with the Lord or, or even whatever you mm. want to call it, going to the Catholic church and not coming with you and, and the rest of your family. How difficult was that? And what was the sort of end result there with where your dad is now? Yeah, that's a great question. My dad, uh, he went alone to the Catholic church and hmm. he was bucking against us for the longest time, probably three or four years. Uh, he would go by himself and we would all go elsewhere. My grandparents were also a little bit disturbed because my dad on my dad's side, because they were just wondering why we did not want to get confirmation right. and confirmation is a big deal. But then you have to, you know, you have to decide, Hey, I want to be a Catholic forever. I want to marry in the Catholic church. And, and we just didn't feel that, you know, and yeah. we didn't want to be deceptive. It just wasn't the truth. And so over time, my dad, it's funny, we would, we would pray for him like you wouldn't believe. I mean, I just remember my parents getting in fights, you know, quite a bit. And I, at one point, I'm like, oh, I hope they don't get divorced because they fight all the time. And, yeah. you know, and it just was like one of those things. And But we would always pray for him. And like my mom, my sisters and I, I mean, it was just like we just did it. We just did our thing. We kept going to church. We kept going to Bible study and those youth groups and, and things. And my dad started to see a change in us. We kept asking him to come to church with us. And eventually after three or four years, he came for the first time, which was like a miracle in itself because, you know, it was kind of hard headed Italian Catholic. And it was like, God was softening his heart because he, he tells us the story that he saw a change in his girls. And, and, and to see that as a father, he knew something was right. Like he knew, well, this is good for them. And this is really putting them on a straight, narrow path. And they really are into this. And I, I see a change. And so let me try it. And so he came, uh, I, I believe he got saved at Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. Uh, there was like an event at our church. I don't know if you ever heard of that. But I haven't was, <laughs> actually, no. Okay. It was like this thing our pastor would put on every so often. And it was like a whole like, oh man, it was like a salvation evangelical, like, I don't want to call it a play, 
but it was like very kind of similar. It was intense and Mm. it was like all about, you know, eternity. And my dad got saved at one of those, those vents, like one of those plays like that, because it was all about, uh, salvation. And I think that he had, he, he had been kind of seeking for a while and seeing us, you know, as we were go about our lives and then something changed in him. And I, I mean, he softened, he, he totally received the Lord. He started coming to church with us as well. And it was just like an answer to our prayers and so cool to see the change in my dad. Um, cause I saw him soften. I really did. And I saw God do a work in his heart and, he was starting to get fed better uh, spiritually, I think, when he started coming with us. It was just where we found the fulfillment, and we did at this other place. And so that's kind of our, our family journey in regards to our faith. And, you know, and then we had a mentor that, you know, I mean, her name is Debbie, and she was somebody we met through that church. And at a young age, she started really pouring into me and my sisters. We had like a small fellowship uh, like a Bible study fellowship where we would get together at her house. And I mean, a very prophetic woman, a very, um, she knew the Bible so well. Like she's, she's someone who taught me how to pray. She taught me, you know, the power of the Holy spirit, you know, and, and the power of the, of the Bible. And, and she just having her, I, I look back and I know that that's rare because I, I don't see everyone not everyone, not every one of my friends or, or peers or, or whatever have had somebody mentor them. So yeah. that was really cool too. I want to I wanna just talk a little bit for a second about your dad and, and the dynamic of family because I think there's a lot of people who listen to this podcast. I know a lot of friends of mine who struggle with the family dynamic and trying to stay with the traditions of what certain families want for um, or grew up in or whatever. And I have friends who, and I'm not, you know, uh, specifically picking one denomination over the other, but one who, who grew up in a Methodist church and didn't feel fulfilled there and, um, leaving that to go to a church that felt more fulfilling or, or the spirit led a little differently for them. And when they went, uh, they experienced it, but they also felt a little guilty because they felt like they were abandoning their family. And I know that there's a lot of people listening who struggle with family. And there's some family members who maybe aren't Christian or some family members who are going to church, but they're not going to a church that, you know, another family member feels like that's where I got to go. Speak to that person for a minute, Julianne, and just express to them sort of some hope or some encouragement about, um, you know, the difficulty, I guess, because family family's hard when they're, you know, when you start dividing a little bit in the, in the spiritual realm or traditional things that go on in family, that's hard. That causes some dissension that is hard to walk through. So speak into that. Oh, it does. And I do. Well, I mean, I think about my mom's story. I mean, she was saved. I I mentioned earlier that she, she was the first one in our entire family um, on that side of the family to get saved when she was 21. And, and, um, I wasn't born yet, obviously, uh, but she said that her mother threw the Bible at her, threw it out the window, and um, you know her whole family was like, "What's wrong with you? You're a kook. What are you now? Like you're a kooky Christian and this yeah. and that." And and like her story really encourages me because 
she just kept plugging along and going to church on her own, even though her family thought she was nuts. And then slowly but surely, like her, her next sister came with her. She kind of was working on her, softening her heart a little bit. And, and my mom was just found this joy in the Lord. And, and then the next sister came and then the next sister came because my mom's, there's a family of five. And then the brother came and then my grandmother fast forward all these years, uh, probably, you know, 20 years ago, she got saved. Uh, so you don't know. I mean, I think it is hard because, uh, you know, in the gospel, it's like when Jesus came, he didn't necessarily come to bring peace. And, um, he said like, mother will be against father. I mean, mother will be against child and, you know, daughter against brother and all that stuff. As far as salvation is concerned. I mean, it's going to happen in families. And I think that that's, that is hard. And it's like, the only thing you can do if, if let's say you're in a family with non-believers is just continue to walk the walk and do your thing and trust in God and know that you're, you, you had an experience and you received Christ as Lord and you're doing the right thing. And, and all you can do is really be a light to those family members who don't know Christ. And, and if they, if they do know Christ and you're going to different churches, I understand that that's hard because I did experience that for a while with my dad. But I mean, the encouragement is the fact that, you know, we didn't fight him and and he didn't really fight us about it. Thankfully, like he let us go because he saw that we weren't happy and eventually he came around. And I think that that's really cool too, is that God, God, I think my best advice is let God do the work, Mm, (laughs) you know, and let him do the work. And, and that if your, you know, family member is in a, in an unhealthy environment or an unhealthy church, because we know that there are unhealthy churches out there, then all you can really do is pray and ask that God would show their, show them uh, if they need to leave or if it's not a place for them to be or to stay. Um, but there's only so much that you can do, you know, as a, a family member, you know, all we did was try to be genuine. And yeah. I think my dad saw the genuineness and then he kind of followed suit. So there is hope, especially for an unsaved relative, you know, yeah. um, but I understand the pain there. Yeah. And it's hard because I think a lot of times you, we're called to love, you know, to love, number one, period. Love God and love others. Doesn't say what kind of others, doesn't say uh, whether that other is somebody that is loving us, right? So we're called to love no matter what. Uh, but it's hard when the response back is in some ways rejection. So kudos mm-hmm. to you for sticking it out with your dad. Uh, I walked through a, a little bit of that in my own family too. So hopefully that's good advice for for everyone listening here on the podcast, we're talking to Julianne Viani, and this is Sports Spectrum. And, you know, if I didn't mention Marist, I'd probably get in trouble by Marist because we're having <laughs> you on. And so I know our time is, is is limited a little bit, but I do want to talk a little bit about your college basketball career, which we mentioned earlier in the interview. You went to, uh, to Marist in the MAC Conference, the Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference. I grew up in Albany, so Sienna is there, and I know all about the MAC and and what that league is about. And you did something in 2007, your team did, that hasn't been done since. And it was the first time they've done that in their program history. They reached the Sweet 16. And for mm-hmm. the Yukons of the world and the Notre Dames of the world, the powerhouses, that's like, okay, big deal. But for Marist to reach the Sweet 16, that is a giant deal. So tell us about playing at Marist, you know, four straight MAC titles, reaching the Sweet 16 in your time there. 
Oh man. Yeah. I had quite the journey at Marist. And, uh, I mean, it was one of those things where I had originally decided to go to the university of Rhode Island and uh, going into my freshman year, I was, uh, over there over the summer and I ended up, uh, there was a big mess coaching situation, this and that I called up the coach at Marist, um, who had offered me as a sophomore in high school because he coached me for two years in high school before he got the marriage job. And I had said no, because I didn't want to stay local. And so it's funny because when he first offered me, I felt something in me. I felt a peace in my heart about it. Like, man, this, this is a school I should probably go to, but I'm not going to. It's like I bucked against this feeling of peace. I remember specifically uh, because I didn't want to stay local. And what's funny is I ended up there. <laughs> and I had five years. And, there, you know, and I didn't think – I was like, all right, well, this is a mid-major school. Um, am I ever going to get to play the Yukons of the world? Am I ever going to get to play – like? the real top, top tier teams, the LSUs, the, you know, the SEC, the power five schools. And, uh, what's funny is it, it, it couldn't have been the best. It was the best decision I could have ever made because I, I felt like we, uh, God's hand was on our team. And I mean, we, we were the beginning of a 10 year reign, so to speak of that program. Um, we were the first, like the first team to kind of get that ball rolling. And yeah, we won the, we ended up winning the Mac tournament every year, um, which was awesome. We went to the tournament every year. And then uh, that sweet 16 experience was just like a Cinderella story. I mean, ESPN followed us around campus. Nobody expected us to get there because who's Marist. I mean, at the time, you know, I remember the Ohio state coach being interviewed and Ohio state was the team we were playing that year in in the right before we got to the sweet 16 in the first and second round we were playing them and so i remember seeing his interview and he didn't even know who we were and i was just laughing because i was like you know what i'm going to show my teammates this and we're going to we're going to i something in me just fired up right and like and my teammates got fired up too like you know this team is so beatable and we played them on a neutral floor out at stanford and we beat them <laughs> and like it was just like he didn't know who we were which was kind of funny and cool being the underdog and you know um and exciting we ended up playing middle tennessee and beating them and then tennessee where pat summit was the coach at the time in the sweet 16 and we ended up losing to them clearly um as i think they went on to win the turn the whole the whole thing that year which um but yeah it was a crazy experience because the one thing that uh i didn't i didn't think i would end up back in my hometown and playing in my hometown brought its 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 positives and also its negatives because i feel like i kind of was like the hometown girl and the hometown hero and i had to i had to kind of i felt that pressure to have to be successful because remember i went to high school in that area too and uh, we were three-time new york state champions in high school so everyone in that area kind of they knew me they knew my family and so playing there was another it was it was really cool because i feel like a lot of the fans were there because they had followed my career in high school too. Uh, but it was also more pressure too, but it was ama- an amazing experience. And, and to be honest with you, I felt like I, I, I made my biggest leaps uh, in my faith in college. Cause when I transferred um, to Marist and I had to sit out, I ended up being a red shirt freshman by the time I was able to actually play 
that first year was probably one of the hardest years of my career, of my life even, because I, uh, it's funny because before I was going into college, my, my mentor used to pray each of us off. Like we had a group of, of people that we would all get together. And before we'd go to college over the summer, she'd pray us off. And I remember going into that year and she was praying for me. My mom was, and my mom was praying. I just pray God that Julianne would make a lot of friends and that, you know, she'd be successful in school and, and in basketball. And, and she was praying this. And then my mentor had stopped her and said, I, I feel this burden in my heart that Julianne is actually going to have some hardships in her first year. And I think it's, I think part of it will be because she'll be successful, but I, I think God's trying to prepare her to, uh, she's trying to prepare you, Julianne, that this is not going to necessarily be easy, but that he needs to etch some things in you. Kind of like the basketball has those etchings in it. He needs to etch some things in you so that it will stay with you for the rest of your life regarding your identity being in him. And, um, let me tell you, Hmm. uh, that first year was hard because when I came in, it was kind of like girls that my coach probably wouldn't have recruited had I said yes, originally were in my class. And so I came in and I started playing, I started, and it was kind of like, I, I felt like I was outperforming them and, they didn't like me for that reason alone, probably. And, um, and it was really hard because my teammates, I didn't, I didn't do anything. It was just like, I was just outplaying them. And I think part of them thought he was favoring me because he coached me in high school. And so I feel like, um, I had so many cares on my mind about what they thought of me, about what fans thought of me, about what my coaches thought of me. And I remember it driving me absolutely crazy until I started really plugging into my identity in Christ. And I would picture one seat in the stands for every single game uh, because I had been struggling during the stretch that year to play well. And I, I was picturing one seat in the stands, and that was God's seat. And I felt like I had an audience of one. And when I kind of like shifted my mind and my heart to that, uh, I, I stopped pleasing man. <laughs> And just right. played for God. Yeah. I started playing incredible. And it was just a huge God send for me to have that kind of mindset. Because I feel like I would have failed if I hadn't. You've, you've gone from basketball. You played a little bit in the pros overseas in Armenia. And we could do a whole other podcast probably on your experience there. <laughs> yes. and, uh, and then coming into broadcasting. You talked about getting into broadcasting. So in your recent season of life what's been your toughest spiritual battle over the past few years uh, along the journey god is, has you in right now what's what's been the toughest battle what are you struggling with most well i think i think what is a constant struggle daily is i is just what the world expects of you I, and i think that that's i mean that's something that i think i've laid at god's feet over the years because it helped me playing, um, you know, at a high level as a player and knowing where my identity was. But I think that at times I feel that creep up, like this is who you have to be, or this is what you have to look like, or this is what you need to sound like, or, uh, to be wet, to be good. You have to be like this. And the bottom line is whenever I have those thoughts, like, 
that the overwhelming thoughts or the the feeling of like pressure from the world or what the world thinks I have to go back to those kind of those lessons I learned as a player you know I I still do feel that battle come on me sometimes because there's a lot of expectations on women I think women especially on how they look and how they sound and needing to prove themselves and all these things can get kind of like caught up and 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 where you need to be hanging out and just all these things but I feel like at times it takes a concerted effort you know and to maintain your purity in a in a world that is every day becoming more and more impure and it's it becomes yeah. more and more of a battle and 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 you look more and more stupid as a christian for for maintaining a pure heart a pure relationship with god and um you know waiting to find you know that right guy as who's a Christian guy, you know, yeah. for marriage, um, desiring family. Those are things that I think about and I have to lay at the Lord's feet because I, as much as my career has been growing, I also want to settle down. So I think that's a battle and really giving God timing because my timing is not his timing and like his timing is not mine. And so I think lately that's been my biggest battle is just laying down timing because I can't manipulate God or make things happen. You just have to sit back and trust him <laughs> when you want to control things, I, right. you know. Let's let's end it with this. And I usually ask, what are you learning from the Lord in this season right now? And I think you kind of answered that in your spiritual battle uh answer and the question of kind of what God is showing you right now. But how about we end with this question? When you're, when all is said and done and it's 60, 65 year old Julianne, and you're looking back, how do you think you want to be remembered? What would you like people to say? Okay, you know what? She, she got this right. How would you like to be remembered? Oh man, what a great question. I, I would like to be remembered when I'm 65 as she was a woman after God's own heart, you know, just like David. And I want to just be able to live this life and um, to, to come before the Father someday and for him to say, uh, well done, my good and faithful servant. I, I want to be remembered as she was a Christian. She loved the Lord and, you know, she was a woman of conviction. And that was what she was about. Her faith in God was what led her in decisions. It, it led her in who she was. And she cared about others coming to Christ because my heart is truly evangelical. Mm. <laughs> I want people to get, to get saved. And I want people to know the salvation that I have because it is for everyone. And so that joy, that, that peace, all of it, that surpasses all understanding. So when I am old and, and sitting in my rocker, I, I can only <laughs> pray that I please the Lord and that the talents that he gave me, I, I was able to use and, uh, and give to him and, and do it to the best of my ability. I mean, that's what I would like nothing more to be known. No, not by just, Oh, she was a basketball player. Cause where's that yeah. going to go eternally? Right. Yep. I want it to be more of an eternal imprint. By the way, uh, apologies to all the 65 year olds who were saying, <laughs> I'm not old. I'm not Sorry. old. 
we my love parents you, are probably actually my parents are in their 60s and they're not they're, <laughs> so they're not mine. in the rockers <laughs> same with my mom she's so 60 something 80s. too okay yeah. <laughs> yeah let's say 95 how's that next time uh this has been a treat to get to know you julianne and, and really uh, appreciate your heart appreciate you sharing what god is doing in your life and uh, listen i hope they look back on your life when they're 60 70 years old too and say she was a pretty darn good basketball analyst so we wish you nothing but the best in that field and certainly continuing to Shine a light and, and be a witness for Christ wherever you go. Thanks so much, Julianne Viani, for joining us here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Thank you, Jason. So much appreciated. And we thank Julianne Viani for joining us here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Really enjoyed talking to her. Love the conversation about uh, her dad and coming to faith later after the rest of her family uh, started walking with the Lord. And I think that's a real uh, thing that a lot of us go through. And in fact, after we taped the interview, uh, I had a, a conversation with Julianne off the air about just how much I enjoyed that part of the podcast, because that was not planned. That was not something that was in my notes and something that we were uh, planning to kind of get into and discuss on a deeper level. But as she said, the Holy Spirit took over and that's exactly what happened there. And just grateful for her heart and uh, wish her nothing but the best with her future endeavors, especially as a broadcaster. I'm hoping in three, four years that we're going to be talking about Julianne Viani as one of the top sports, uh, especially top basketball analysts that are out there in the broadcasting world. And uh, just grateful for her heart and grateful for her willingness to come on and talk about her faith in Jesus and being unashamed in that faith. We thank you for joining us here on the podcast as well. As always, you can reach us at sports underscore spectrum on Twitter. You can tweet at us. You can email us. You can hit us on Facebook and, and Instagram as well. Go to our YouTube channel. Uh, our email is, uh, or my email is jason at sportspectrum.com. And uh, when you email me, it comes right to me. So I'd love to hear from you. Love to hear what you think about the podcast, what you thought about Julianne, what you think about uh, any kind of future guests that you want us to be interviewing. Uh, we want your suggestions. Uh, you know, we don't know every story that's out there on the intersection of sports and faith, especially the the names that you may not have heard of. You know, this Julianne Viani interview that came together, I didn't know Julianne two weeks ago. Uh, somebody reached out to me and said, you should consider having her on. I did my research. Uh, we connected. We talked a little bit about uh, her faith and, and her journey. And I said, yeah, this is a story that needs to be told. So let's have you on. Uh, so if you have an idea for a guest in that same realm, just hit me up, jason at sportspectrum.com. I'd love to hear from you, love to hear what you think and any guest ideas you have. And we do thank our partners on this podcast, Compassion International. They do such a great job, $38 a month. Go to Compassion.com backslash Sports Spectrum. That's the new, the new website, the new URL, Compassion.com backslash Sports Spectrum. And sponsor a child in Jesus' name, $38. It gets them education, medical care, training for a job, vocational training, and the opportunity to hear about Jesus Christ. And last year alone, over 1.8 million children were impacted and over 150,000 children chose to follow Christ just in the last year alone. They got a great thing going over there and we're just so grateful to have them as sponsors and as partners with us. Compassion International. Go sponsor a child. I promise you, you will not regret it and you can make a gigantic difference in, in a child's life. Compassion.com backslash sports spectrum and sponsor a child today. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next time right here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Hey.